0: ready born ready
1: hi everyone i'm Saba long host of where the party at your political podcast this is our who runs atlanta series where we're giving you in-depth interviews with the candidates who are running for the city government andre dickens candidate for mayor of atlanta and he's currently the post three at large city council member So depending on which poll you look at, Andre just might have a chance at making a runoff. But really, the big question is, will the stars align in his favor? Andre. Andre Dickens. Hey. Great to see you.
2: Great to see you too.
1: What's been going on?
0: A little this and a little that.
1: We're going to get into a little this and a little that. (laughs) So I just want just you to open up help us understand the folks listening the folks watching who's andre dickens beyond the political stuff we'll get to the political stuff but like who were you as a person i'm somebody who
0: uh loves atlanta because i was born and raised here um born and raised to a mom and and um sister in a two-bedroom house um we where in adamsville um in adamsville southwest atlanta and went to atlanta public schools the whole way played sports every sport i grew up in a neighborhood of like 30 boys okay so every day there was a game going on somewhere and you had to get in where you fit in so uh i was very competitive growing up in sports but also my mom was very serious about my academics uh she had never gone to college nobody in my whole family my aunts grandparents uh, sister was older? My sister's like seven uh, years older than me. Nobody had went to any university, and so my mom was like, "You're gonna do it." Went through May's High School in Atlanta, and then made my way to Georgia Tech um, and studied chemical engineering. And that's where it all began with me um, wanting to serve. Um, you know, I did all kinds of stuff like SGA and everything. But yeah, I mean, who I am is based in that 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 core of. Southwest Atlanta, you know, all things SWATs, all things ATL. I remember being young saying Atlanta's the best city in the whole world. And I hadn't been outside of Atlanta. Mm. But based on what I saw on TV and knowing that in our city, we had all these great things. Uh, schools named after black leaders, yep. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive. I, I went to Benjamin Mays High School and Frederick Douglass High School was my rival. I mean, you just think about all that. And I was just like, ain't no place like
1: it. So this is a perfect segue into our first segment. Okay. How Atlanta are you?
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So you ready? Yeah. All
1: right. No judgment. Maybe just a little bit, depending on what you say. You ready for the first one? Stay ready. How do you like your wings prepared? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lemon pepper wet.
1: Where are you getting them?
0: You know, I've got about five or six places. Um, there's this place called DC Wings, and then you got LT Wings. Now, LT Wings is right there at Cascade and Fairburn Road, um, and I like them better. But uh, now Jr. Crickets is when you're on the late night because they, they they stay open to like, midnight.
1: What you doing up late at night? I'm helping constituents. Okay. Check. <laughs> and then what's your favorite Atlanta neighborhood?
0: Call Your Heights. That's where I live now, historic Collier Heights. Uh, When I was living in Adamsville growing up, this is where everybody drove through Uh, Gladys Knight and others lived there, all the beautiful Christmas decorations it's a black neighborhood built by black architects and engineers. And so uh, two years ago, I bought my own house there in 1956. Nice. Historic home. Um,
1: you bought it just in time for a pandemic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So during the pandemic, <laughs> I was fixing it up, <laughs> right. working on it. And and uh, in, and in, in historic Collier Heights is a wonderful community of all these uh, Atlanta greats. Um, you know, Leroy Johnson, um, you know great Herman Russell and others uh, live there. So uh, I, I, I feel blessed to be able to live out that time honor tradition of leadership coming out of Collier Heights.
1: That's fantastic. So another how Atlanta are you question, who's your favorite Atlanta artist or who are you listening to these days? That's an Atlanta artist.
0: My favorite group of all time is Outkast.
1: That's think, the only acceptable answer.
0: That's the only acceptable <laughs> answer. Uh, Andre 3000 is uh, my, you know, my alter ego. He's right. who I am every day. Um, so, you know, it's my favorite artist.
1: And I think he's a Gemini.
0: He is a Gemini. His birthday just happened.
1: Okay. And we grew
0: up. There's, there's crazy stories. I don't want to take over your podcast, but Andre and I have have good stories about growing up. Uh, he grew up in the neighborhood adjacent to me. Well, his dad lived over there. Okay. So he would stay there from time to time. But yeah, that's my favorite. Um, and then, you know, there's some old Atlanta uh, rappers before before them. Uh, Raheem the Dream. Um, I know I just dated myself. You're like, Raheem the Dream? I know millennials, y'all be like, huh?
1: Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Raheem the Dream. I'll look him up. Yeah. I'll Google him.
0: Yeah. He might have been before Google, but.
1: I I probably. That's all right. And so, all right, your last meal on earth has to be in Atlanta. Where are you going? What are you ordering?
2: <sighs> you
1: can't mm-hmm. say your mom's house.
2: No. Nah. Uh, I'm going. Let's see. Um, Last meal. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay. It's got to be fried fish. Okay. I'm thinking...
0: Thinking either Pascals, or Yassine's fish supreme. <laughs>
1: with, what's some, what's fish. on the side? What's on the side?
0: Um, some French fries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm easy.
1: That's easy. I'm easy. Fried fish. Yeah. And fish fries. Yeah. French fries.
0: Now I could get all fancy with you and 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 talk hey, about. Hey,
1: it's, it's you, man. Yeah. Your I mean, last you know, meal. I, I'm not gonna tell you what to eat on your last meal. I want to
0: I go out right, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can go to the consulate or somewhere like that, but I'm just going to take it.
1: Just going to take it easy.
0: I'm going to take it easy.
1: I hear you. All right. And then my last question for you. Okay. All right. If you had to pick one place, just one, that says this is Atlanta culture, what's that place? Who?
0: One place that says this is Atlanta culture.
2: Oh, that's good. That's a good question. Attract, hmm. Man, uh, can I really get it down to one place? You can do it. Like this is the essence right here. Yeah. And the essence of Atlanta. See, I go so many
0: places every day throughout the city that I'm trying to make sure I pick somewhere that's
1: What what's the first place that came to mind? Which is like naturally popped out.
0: Well, it was I this is crazy, but the first picture was um Dominique Wilkins statue right in front of the stadium in, in front of uh the yeah. State Farm Arena. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that stood out in my head. I'm trying to figure out, you know, I wanted to go further back than that. I wanted to take it something that wasn't so sportsish, but I don't maybe know. Maybe
1: just the hawks are on people's brains. The hawks right are now. on
0: people's brains. Dominique Wilkins yeah. is my favorite hawk ever. Um, so maybe that's that's what it was. So
1: Isn't he the one that La tried to kick out? Yeah, yeah.
0: I wasn't about to say La Oh,
1: we can blast him. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, social media already blasted him, so <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, All no, right. no, that's good.
0: I'm, I'm gonna stick with that answer. You know, we got some other. We got so many great places, though. You know.
1: All right, good. So we'll let the viewers decide how Atlanta you are based on your mm. response to those questions.
0: Yeah. So, so I got something better
2: though. This is this is it. Five points, Marta Station. Tell me more. Well, as a kid, I wrote
0: Marta. Um, and I ride Marta now, but I, I, I wrote it out of necessity. I I had no other choice as a kid. And I, uh, go to five points to connect, to go everywhere, whether you're going to school, going to Linux. and, And even when I went to Georgia tech, I'd take it, but underground was there. Right. And so I would come, you know, go to five points and you would buy stuff. It was all kinds of vendors out there. That's where you could buy jewelry. You could buy, you know, a backpack, you could buy all kinds of oils and candies and all this kind of stuff. So I remember that. That's cemented in my brain um, of where you go down there to have all kinds of stuff. Uh, it was just a, a, a vendor's market. And then you go over to um, underground. Uh, so, so oh, you know, old Atlanta, I remember it. That was a just an open market yeah. where you can kind of just free flow. Um, no drama. Kids, adults, visitors, tourists, everybody hanging out.
1: Tell me, as you just... Made me think of something. How different do you think Atlanta is for kids today compared to when you were 14, 15?
0: Significantly different. Significantly. Um, I I mean, I grew up in Atlanta that was clearly identified as predominantly black. I mean, I went to K through 12 and I only interacted with three or four non African-Americans in my whole academic career. When I got to Georgia Tech, it was a total different thing when you right. had 280 people in a class and it's like two ten ten 10, that were black. Um, so I was like, oh, we're not in SWATs anymore. Right. <laughs> right. But now my daughter, who is 16 years old, we just got her her. You know, she earned her driver's license during covid last week. Uh, last week of school, you know. So she's out with her. You know, I hit her up. Like, wait, where, where you at? It's like one o'clock. Where you, where are you? She was like, me and Naya getting brunch at Toast. Like, you're just rolling, getting brunch on your right. own. You know, we didn't have. I didn't do brunch when I was a. No, I didn't either. Yeah, not. You know, so this is a whole new situation. She was at. She was in Buckhead doing it. Um, they were enjoying their time. And so I'm remembering a time where you know we didn't do a lot of crossing um
1: you stayed post- in your neighborhood
0: you stayed in your neighborhood and you went on these certain trips just for you know point a to point b kind of situation mm. now um now you know people move people go around experiencing things, whether that's because of the belt line or more transit opportunities or um people feel more connected and you know and m- maybe as technology or whatever it is right. but um You know, I mean, I put out a list of 300 black owned restaurants. I remember that. And now folks that are on the north side are going to the south side to eat and south side going to the north side, east, west. Um, And and people don't feel afraid. They got technology in hand. They say, I'm going to experience this. And I think my my, my daughter is showing me how how willing they are to cross major divides um, all across the city. So I think it's a more connected city. I think it's still some room to go for sure. but. Yeah, um, definitely. Definitely a a big difference in that regard.
2: Yeah.
1: So with this podcast, we're trying to reach, you know, maybe not the typical voter, uh, younger folks, folks who aren't living, eating and breathing politics. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they're not reading the AJC every time there's a breaking news story or following Twitter to see what so and so posted. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Help us understand what you currently do, your current role on city council. And what does that really mean? Like, how does that really impact someone's life?
0: Yeah. So currently I'm a member of the Atlanta City Council for the last eight years. I'm the post three at large. What that means is I'm a citywide elected official. So the city of Atlanta has 12 districts. And then they have three at-large members, three members that are selected, or that are elected by everybody that votes. So right. the same people that vote for the mayor, the council president, they also have the opportunity all across the city to vote for three at-large people. So uh, what your at-larges do, well, first, what the city council does in general is we make the laws of the city uh we set the rules we set we we set the budget we establish incentives and opportunities we are the representatives of the people uh we should be the first to uh you know reach out a hand to listen to the citizens to represent our districts or the entire city um and then bring that back to government to say these funding uh th- th- this um you know, budget. This this move needs to go more in this direction or this needs to go more in that direction. We want to elevate the city. And so me being a citywide representative, I mean, I ran citywide. I didn't ever run in the district. I wanted to represent the entire city when I started. And I did that because I wanted to make best practices uh, all across the city. I wanted to be able to impact change. And so that means taking things from the you know, your side of the town got sidewalks, I want to say, how did we do it? And now let's bring them over here. Um, If you got, you know, good schools, if you got, if you have great, you know, grocery stores and opportunities, if you have economic development and jobs on this side of town, I want to put them over here. I want to help stir up opportunities and bless people across the city. And so that's what the at-larges are supposed to do is um, set policies citywide. So all of my policies have mainly been, you know, across the whole city and how they impact your life. Um, You don't get a, you know, the various things like a belt line without the funding mechanisms and structures, uh, you know, the tax millage rate, um, the various uh, incentives, the amount of police force, the amount of fire stations, who's, who's getting the contract for this, you know, cleaning this building or paving that road—all those things are city council and mayor. And then the mayor uh, operates within the parameters that the city sets. The mayor runs the eight thousand staff of the city, uh, and we set the parameters, meaning the budget and the the grades and bands of employment in the departments.
1: And how long have you been on city council?
0: Been on city council eight years.
1: What would you say in that eight years is your biggest achievement? What are you most proud of over that eight-year time frame?
0: In eight years, so much has been done. I'm extre- I'm just thankful to be on city council to live out the dream of serving Atlanta. I mean, I've done a number of things that I am proud of. I mean, this is the time where you get to talk and boast. I feel feel kind of weird talking about look at all I've done. But I've I, I've I've listened to people so carefully. And then try to deliver upon that on a national stage right now. We're talking about fifteen dollars minimum wage across the nation. The State of Georgia is at five dollars and fifteen cents minimum wage. It's a travesty. So I I saw that and I saw people that work for the city actually having to go on government assistance. Like you serve the city, but you also requiring, you know, some sort of government subsidy for for eating or for housing. I thought that's a travesty. So I asked and and produced legislation to move the city of Atlanta to $15 an hour four years ago. So we did it in three tranches, $13, $14, then $15 an hour. So I wanted to take care of our workers. So now they're at $15 an hour because of a policy that I came up with. And it didn't cost taxpayers a dime because we did it appropriately. I created a Department of Transportation. One thing. One thing. One thing. Oh.
1: So that's your one thing? And God just. I one mean, thing. that's a that's your one thing. That's okay. And got just one thing. Though. No, you got one. One. <laughs> you got to pick one. Uh, so fifteen dollars minimum wage. We go.
0: We'll go, we go with that. Nothing. Okay. I mean, you know, I got stuff about affordable housing. Ah, and nice
1: stuff. try. Nice try. Uh huh. Okay. And so, what would you say over the eight years? You've learned a lot of lessons, I'm mm-hmm. sure. What's one thing, Uno, that you would say? If I could do it all over again, I wouldn't do it.
2: Mm. I could do it all over again. I wouldn't do it. Uh. Man. Um, I'll tell you what. This is an honest statement. We want honesty. Yeah. So.
0: So I, um. I, I went along with the vote that all council members went along with uh, for the sale of underground. We talked about underground a few minutes Mm -hmm. ago. The previous mayor promised something based on things that he drew up, told us these things. You see underground today, seen any movement?
1: No, I believe they have a new owner.
0: We've we've, we've had a new iteration and a new iteration, right? So based on uh, details and information that was provided to us, everybody said, that sounds great. Let's do it. Now, none of that came to fruition.
1: Are you saying you were
2: hoodwinked?
0: Hoodwinked, led astray, um, you know, whatever the case was. It was uh, misinformation, and it led to a situation that's still sitting there stagnant and dissatisfying to the public, and it's an embarrassment.
1: So how would you rectify that? If you're a mayor, there's an there's a new owner now for mm-hmm. underground. What would, what would your vision be? What would you do differently?
0: Yeah, I would um, make sure that we brought more people to the table. Um,
1: what does that look like? Yeah, it, it looks
0: like, um, you know, h- holding people accountable, meaning, um, you know, the the plans have to be robust and, and explainable and fully uh, thought out. And you also have to have, you know, a, a different set of, uh, you know, people at the table. I mean, remember, we're talking about uh, the folks that were at the table. About half of them have been federally indicted or they're in jail or been in jail. And so when they're making the decisions, then there's a tr- a, a matter of distrust now that you have to look back at based on those previous um you know, set a set, set of uh, decisions that was made. And now the results where you see this property is still sitting there empty and, you know, hollow and <laughs> no future. Uh, it, the future that was promised is nowhere near what it what, what it is. Right. And so when the decision makers and the people that's giving you commentary and explanations about what's going to happen are now a few years later in jail or federally indicted, or under investigation, you start to be clear that we can't, that, that all decisions have to be made in a within trust, and you got to have good integrity and ethics, or else you don't know how that decision came to be to where now you still don't have the result that you sought after.
1: Okay, so, but again, what would you do differently? Like, what does underground look like? Right. So if you're coming in, a new owner has taken over underground, what are you at charging them to do that's different from the past?
0: Yeah, definitely more community engagement. Absolutely more, um, you know, uh, demonstration of what we're going to have, meaning uh, the, the, the drawings, the finances. Um, We wouldn't we would not go with a developer that has only been in the suburbs. Uh, This developer has to know how to do what we call adaptive reuse. Can you you
1: explain that just for folks that may not be familiar?
0: Yeah. So adaptive reuse is, you know, so, you know, if you go out to a bunch of vacant land, you know, 30 miles outside of Atlanta, you can build you can build anything. It's going to look like a big box mostly. Well, this places underground. It's kind of established already. So how do you reuse what's already there, being uh, respectful of the history of it, also maintaining um, some of the beauty of it, but then, you know, making it, bringing it up to, uh, you know, proper productive use. Right. Um, So that's adaptive reuse. And so being able to have people who are used to doing that, people that are creative, but also, you know, really good at the finances to make that happen. So yeah. I mean, we we build things when we apply ourselves. And in this case, uh, we were led astray.
1: So Mayor Bottoms announced that she wasn't going to run for re-election. That surprised a lot of folks, right? Um, so maybe a week or so after she made that announcement, you went from running for your re-election to deciding to run for mayor. It was just like a quick swerve. We're like, whoa, wait, what? Why'd you do that? And do you think you're Prepared? Do your folks feel like you're prepared when you were kind of going down one road and then you just zoomed over to another completely different, very rugged road. <laughs> yes. With a lot of potholes more, in it.
0: We are very prepared. Um, so yeah, you're right. I was running for re-election. I was probably gonna go unopposed again. This would have been my second time where voters and you know folks decided that I was, you know, good to go back to post three. Uh, without any competition, but I was, you know, actively about to start campaigning for that. And then Mayor Bottoms uh, said she was not going to seek re-election. And I was like, let's go. I knew that I was going to run in the next open election for mayor. Um, That was clear to me, clear to my friends, my supporters, and even to some of the people that are in the race now. They knew that the next open seat I was running in. And so I was prepared to run for mayor in my heart, in my mind. And my team, all they, did, all they needed was the let's go. And so we, you know, like you said, we, we, our bags were packed in one direction and all that, all that luggage is still good stuff. We just take it with us. Where are we going? And now we're fully ready. So it wasn't even a week. Uh, six days later, I, I had a kickoff with 300 people, multi-generational, multi-racial, uh, you know, folks from all walks of life. You know, 300 folks out there, newspapers, news, news organizations. Um, and I'm standing on a picnic table letting people know that I love Atlanta and, and and I love the people of Atlanta and that I love Atlanta so much that I want to serve her as a, as a mayor. So that was a real time decision that I made and we got to it and we're only three weeks in and already um, lighting the city on fire, showing our love.
1: OK, so how do you win?
0: I win like I've always won, um, being authentic, being really a son of the city, honoring the past and setting a vision for the future. To win an election like this, it, it means you have to have endurance and just the ability to work hard. I'm no stranger to that. So we're going to win based on how I've always won, applying myself, having a very, very good team around me, and being able to connect to voters, whether it's one on one whether it's across uh, a stage or whether it's, you know, in the in print or on screen. Uh, every moment, even this one is me you know, making my case that I'm the next mayor of Atlanta. Everything is on the table and now is the time to do it.
2: Who's your biggest threat? Nobody. Really? Yeah. Can you elaborate?
0: That's it. That's what 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 more needs to be said. There's no threats. I'm not threatened, so there's no threat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. He said, ain't no threats around here. Ain't no threats around All here. right. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you've heard this a lot, this phrase, Atlanta's full. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but folks keep moving here everywhere. Mm-hmm. Folks are just, Atlanta's these spots, the hot spot. We talked a little bit about underground. Um, How do you manage this growth? How do you get It's It's a great city. Folks love it. Folks like you who are from Atlanta, born and raised are generally, I would say, are welcoming of this new crop of people. But how do you maintain what we love about Atlanta and still make it a city that can grow?
0: Yeah, we are in jeopardy if we can't do that. Um, we have a unique culture, a unique space in the world and definitely a unique space in America. And we are in jeopardy of losing it for it to become a distant memory. I do everything I can to remind my 16 year old daughter of, you know, how things were and then what things are and not just say that they're gone. You just may not, you know, attach yourself to it as, as readily as I do. So I'm always in the reflective mode of of reminding people from whence we came. But I'm also very much aware that there's a lot of growth and I have to balance that growth.
2: But how how are you going to do it? Yeah,
0: this is what I'm saying. Balanced economic growth geographically. You know, Southwest and Southeast Atlanta aren't seeing their fair share of job creation, of economic development, of even transportation um, corridors coming their way. Well, that's something that we've already put in place that's coming. And more will be done under my administration than, than any administration in the last 20 years related to economic development in, in the areas that, when people say we fool, they're talking about right along the city's middle of the city, whether that's, you know, Peachtree. You know, downtown, Midtown, Buckhead, a little bit of Beltline. No, I'm. I'm I, those are going to continue to grow, but we have to grow the who in Atlanta. Those, those folks that are, are often forgotten, low income, you know, and often um, left behind folks. But even the, the areas of Atlanta, demographically, we're talking about, you know, ge- geographically, we're talking about Southwest Atlanta, Southeast Atlanta. So we're not full when you can drive down streets that are 30, 40 percent vacant houses. That's not full. But We're gonna cram each other all in some of these other places. We're not full when Bankhead Courts, Bowen Homes, Hollywood Courts, Inglewood—you um, know these old Atlanta housing uh, projects—are now torn down and they're just grass. So we're not full. We could build on those things. We could basically have mixed-income development. Not we—we we will have it under my administration. So why hasn't that
1: happened already? And you've been on council for eight years. So what have you been doing to make it happen?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So part of why it hasn't happened is in the past 12 years, nothing has been built on Atlanta housing property. Me as mayor, I've already put the word out, put the notice on that, that that's not going to be the case anymore. You got land, you got infrastructure already under those properties. Uh, and then you've also got federal government willing to give you, um, you know, grants and, and and funding for these projects. I don't understand why that hasn't happened. Um, A lot of egos got in the way personalities have flared up and fights have happened to block out developers that otherwise would have already developed mixed income housing on those properties. They've already I've I've talked to all of them and we're ready to start, you know, making things happen on those properties where then you will have, you know, thousands of people able to live on each one of these properties. Um, Atlanta housing properties in a mixed income fashion, low income, middle income, and and, and market rate. So that's all going to happen. But but some of the things that I have done on council have benefited uh, what we're talking about here, which is mixed income. When you look at uh, the Beltline, before I was on council, the Beltline, all these properties were being built with no affordability. They're just coming up, and they're just you know offering incentive to to, to developers to build anything but then they weren't building anything that was affordable. So I thought that was- How do
1: you define affordable?
0: Well, well, let me finish this before we go to that. So then I created a policy called inclusionary zoning, which is that any new property that's built on the Beltline, any new apartments started in 2018, all of them have to set aside 10 or 15% of their units for workforce affordable housing along the Beltline. And now we've got 700 units that have that are sprinkled throughout you know the beltline that are all af- for a fa- affordable for a family
1: but that's 700 units out of what 30,000
0: absolutely which is because we before I even got on council this is already long a, a huge trajectory so in 2018 when i put this policy in uh, you know together now you're talking about 25% of everything that has been built on the beltline since 2018 has affordability in it. If I could have started this policy back in 2005, I would've, but I wasn't on city council. So I think that when you look back at these things, you know, you're gonna look 20 years down the line and you're gonna be very happy that this thing went from zero affordability to 700 to maybe 7,000 when, when you keep adding it up and not a cost to taxpayers. No cost, didn't take a bond, didn't take any kind of um, tax to be able to do this. It just happened because of a policy I put in place. And so that's the type of leadership that you need is someone who can think about new ideas and innovative ways to make things happen. And so that's one example. And now someone who's a doctor on the Beltline is living next to someone who, you know, family makes $40,000 and they both get to go, their kids get to go to the same school, stand at the same bus stop. But let's be real.
1: Are those kids really going to the same school?
0: Well, if you're zoned on the same is the
1: doctor's kids going to Atlanta public schools, or is the doctor's kid going to a private school? Some are,
0: some aren't. I mean, you know. But the point is, they have that right. They have that option. And whether it's an engineer's kid, whether it's a you know anybody's kid, that's you know, there's some people there that's making thirty five, forty thousand dollars a year, and some people there are making eighty thousand dollars a year doing whatever. A graphic artist, a graphic designer could make eighty thousand dollars. Whatever the case is, your income is no longer going to dictate your destiny. Um, when it comes to educational outcomes, what grocery store you get to, even your health outcomes, even the fact that you got a, you know, a, you know, a, a great. Th-
1: yeah, I think that's where we aspire. I don't think that's where Atlanta actually is. Right. I mean, right now, where you live does determine a lot. Yeah. It determines the quality of air. It determines the quality of your school. Uh, it determines what food is around you and available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where this city is aspiring to go, but we're certainly not there right now. No, we're
0: not, we're not there, but a policy like the one I'm just communicating to you, that's what it does. You can stand right now on a, on the belt line. I can point to units where inside of that building there's people living there of different incomes, meaning they can go to the same store, same school. That's not the case for everywhere in the city. That's not the case as it has been for hundreds of years, because your, uh, you know, your zip code has determined your destiny in Atlanta, unfortunately, um, as in other cities. You know, it's, it's it's a travesty. But I think that making sure that you have mixed income, you know, people living in, in in places that have different um, backgrounds, they also can Um, you know, climb the ladder. There's a pathway um, to prosperity for everyone versus you having concentrations of poverty and despair. When you have uh, food deserts and you have no hospitals anywhere near, and you also have these other challenges, you know, you have to, you know, be intentional about making, making the lives better, the quality of life for everybody in the city. And that's, I mean, literally a policy like that and others that I've done Um, have incrementally made lives better for some people as a city council person. Now, as a mayor, with all the power and the bully pulpit as mayor, as someone who will have all 8,000 employees of the city at their disposal, all of the business community, all of the nonprofit community, all those folks uh, ready to lock arms with me in the region, I'm a bridge builder. I'll be able to build this bridge uh, that we need.
1: So what's your day one issue?
0: Well, right now, you know, um, we definitely are experiencing a spike in crime, um, and and we can't shy away from it and act like it's not not the case. Um, we have a significant increase in violent crime. So uh, on, on day what one, what do you
1: think is causing that?
0: Um, a couple of factors. Um, I think we have to uh, I, I, to answer your question specifically. Um, <laughs> you know, I was about to tell you what we have to do, but. Uh to, to answer your question specifically. But part of it um is you know, there's a feeling of lawlessness by some people. Um some people are coming to our city to experience our nightlife and everything that it has to offer, and they feel emboldened and taking opportunities to
1: So the whole city is Hamsterdam.
0: No, not the whole city, is not Hamsterdam like in the wire. Um but I just think that Um, You know, for the past year or so, uh, they felt that, um, you know, that they can have their way. And then we have to support our police officers, but also hold them accountable. Um, And so while all these indecisions are going on, there's definitely a decision that needs to be made related to training our officers better, um, but also getting our 911 system uh, professionalized. People are waiting on hold on on Saturday, sometimes on weekends. Council has actually put forth money to improve that. We just have to implement. we got to be better at delivery, better at execution and implementation and then the training and those things. But but I also say that what's what, what happens before a crime is even thought to be committed is more uh, worth our time investing in as well. You know, managing how we uh, increase the experiences for our youth. More youth engagement. You know, everyone's talking about water sales. But if and you
1: got night. 100 days, right, so you get elected, the first 100 days everyone knows is critical, mm-hmm. right? And so if crime is your number one issue, what are you doing in 100 days to tackle crime?
0: Yeah, in 100 days, I mean, we we are, you know, making sure that our recruitment for officers is at the level that we need, you know, 200 more officers is where we are. We're, we're, we're supposed, we're 450 short. So we have to recruit more officers. Now they won't be trained and on the street in a hundred days, but we gotta have that automatically in process. Um, The the, the current chief will be on a hundred day plan. So essentially, I'll have metrics in place, measurable, smart goals. And, you know, this is we have a go no go period on whether or not he stays. Um, And um, I think that that's the case uh, for uh, we're going to be out here doing national searches for all of our top leadership in the first hundred days because we're going to be a well run city. This is something that I do well is lead teams and execute and solve problems as an engineer. We're going to be well run. And so we're going to find the top talent and and uh, make sure that they are, are taken care of in a way that makes them want to run this city with me. And so in the first hundred days, we're going to execute uh, on on all our police goals related to, you know, additional training. Everybody on the force will go through the. Uh, de-escalation training, but also uh, training as it relates to- uh, Is
1: that not already underway?
0: It is something that a law that we passed, but is it being implemented? Is it being executed upon? You have to have intentionality to make sure that every officer is rotated. So is that
1: not, you're saying that's not being implemented? At
0: the rate that's necessary to see the difference. Yeah, no. So no, it's not happening at the rate that's necessary.
1: Can't city council just call the police chief up and say, hey, what's going on?
0: No, that's not. I mean, we we don't ha- have that. I mean, we, we set the rules. but We don't. You know, it's 15 of us. We set the rules. We set the bar and then we assess it and provide oversight. But, you know, the chief is hired by the mayor.
1: I understand that. Yeah. But as a council member, can you not call the police chief and say,
0: yeah, you do. We do. What's going on? We do that. We say what's going on with crime. What, what's, what's going on with this response time? Here's more money to fix that. Here's, here's what we suggest you should do. Here's what they did in this other city. Here's what I suggest you do. Here's a law to make sure you do it. Still have to have a, a mayor and a COO, et cetera, to make those things happen.
1: So it sounds like you're laying that at the foot of the administration.
0: I, I'm, I, I'm laying, you know, for, for me, when I'm mayor, Everything related to crime, everything related to this city is at my feet. It's in my hands, it's at my feet. Yeah, you're responsible for everything that happens or doesn't doesn't happen in the city. Uh, To ensure the public safety of every citizen is the number one job of the mayor. You can't have an equitable city and a prosperous city until you have a safe city. So we have to have a safe city. and. That is the job of the mayor. It's the job of the administration. So, you know,
2: yeah.
1: So what would you do about, I'm going to put this in air quotes, the water boys, which I just kind of think of as young entrepreneurs, right? I mean, I'm sure you've rolled up to a stop sign or been at a red light and someone's, you know, said, Hey, buy some water. Uh, For some people they're uncomfortable uh, with it. Others are like, Hey, I get it. These young guys are out here trying to, Make some money at least they're not committing crimes right mm-hmm. so what's your take on it what would you do
0: yeah i mean you're absolutely right if you interview 100 people in the city uh half of them think this is a bad idea to have kids selling water on the corner and the other half say hey they're young entrepreneurs you know uh, give them a chance they're just trying to make money uh, for me it's a fresh memory for me uh, i grew up in 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 atlanta selling apples, selling Krispy Kreme on the corner in, in, for a nonprofit called Swaybo, Southwest Atlanta Youth Business Organization. We did that. I became an entrepreneur 20 years after being in Swaybo, all because I remember being trained on revenue, cost of goods sold, profit and loss, customer service. This was something I learned from eight to 14 years old. Every Tuesday night, we went to Mount Calvary Baptist Church and learned About profit and loss, about what items we were going to sell. And then we would go out on Saturdays and stand on the corner of Martin Luther King and the exit and other places. But we always had adult supervision. We never darted out in traffic and we always kept our area clean. And the corners and the places we were were known. People knew where we were going to be. and They could come if they wanted to or didn't come if they didn't want to. I could tell you two or three individuals that are business owners in this town that went through that program. We can uh, replicate that and and make that go across the city. Now, if you're not doing it this way, if you're not, If you didn't get your, you know, youth license, because it'll be a youth vendor's license uh, program. They
1: have to pay for the license?
0: No, they don't have to pay for the license. They have to earn the license in three or four hour training programs over, you know, so, so many days. And then they'll get a uniform, a shirt. So when you're driving up, you'll know, okay, they're wearing that shirt and they're standing on that corner and there's an adult. That's a legit practice. I understand that's where I'm buying my water from or whatever. By the way, water is just a mechanism for the exchange. No different than a Gatorade, no different than candy or sure. a T-shirt or anything. They just grab water uh, because it's a, you know something that, that helps you when you're hot outside. But it could be anything. Um, but at the same time, you would know this corner is legit and those guys are legit. In that corner, you see somebody over there and they're not wearing a uniform and they're in the off corner. You don't you don't go there. You actually report that. And then we go take care of that and say, hey, you need to get into this program if you want to sell water, if you want to sell whatever you're selling. And if you don't want to comply, we have to deal with this irregularity the same way we deal with any irregularity. We weed it out and makes people comply with what is in place to help you. These guys that are selling water um, can one day be guys that own a water company, like Dave Walker, right? A black man, yeah, right? This is the dream. This is the goal. I don't want to stunt their growth. These guys can sell houses, they can sell clothes. I mean, they they can they, you know we just have to help them invent the future, and not keep them you know you know as a problem. They they they've you know all of them aren't bad, right? So we definitely have some levels where these thirteen fourteen year olds at a hundred pounds out there with about three hundred dollars in their pocket getting jacked by seventeen year olds. That that want that two hundred three hundred dollars been watching them for the last five hours make money. Now we have to, you know, govern that and guard that and protect it, um, and not let let them stay out there like sitting duck.
1: So Atlanta is known as the place for black entrepreneurs to grow and thrive, right? Yeah. But a lot of those entrepreneurs, overwhelming majority, are what I would call solopreneurs. It's just a one person. Maybe they've got a contractor here or there. How do those folks really actually make it, right? So how do they become the next black millionaires uh, that Atlanta's known for?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, black businesses are going to be a part of my platform. Black business matters to me. It matters to this city. It's a part of our solution out of this have and have nots, out of this income immobility. mobility. It's a part of wealth generation and making sure that we have a future where black folks in particular can thrive in this town. What so does it black look like? Businesses. Yeah, black businesses, uh, to me especially, because I've owned one for nearly a decade. I started a furniture business with my sister from zero, and we grew it to multi millions of dollars, twenty employees, three locations. So a lot of businesses just need help with scale, right? So folks start businesses, but in Atlanta, the average black business business has revenues of fifty six, fifty seven thousand dollars. That's what the study said, like a year ago. Fifty seven thousand dollars in revenue. That's not enough to be able to really stimulate our black economy. So we need to recycle our dollars in the black community to be able to have others, you know, shop with our businesses, buy from our restaurants. This is why I created the black restaurant guide of Atlanta so that people all over black, white, other can shop in our restaurants, et cetera. So we can help black businesses flourish. Part of my solutions is going to be to have funds set aside for stimulating black businesses and, and helping them to scale, whether that's in technology or whether that's in, you know, everything from. Is that West through
1: Invest Atlanta? Who What area of city government would that fall under?
0: Yeah, through uh, Invest Atlanta, but also through, you know, programs uh, like, um, you know, Russell Center for <laughs> Innovation and, and uh, Entrepreneurship or, uh, you know, the various things that we have with ACE and all these other, you know, um, entrepreneurship hubs and centers that Incentives that help. So partnering. Um, But I think that it's a culture that we have to create, a culture of um, supporting black businesses. So when the dollars go in, you know, from Invest Atlanta or the city, everybody supports those businesses to help them level up and to scale. I can point to businesses on Ralph David Abernathy, um, right there, Miss D's Cafe or Kiyomi's Good Hair Shop um, or various others that I experienced and saw them almost about to fail out uh, can't you can't shop and go to miss d's cafe if her air conditioning doesn't work in the summertime she was literally not getting any customers in she had to go to a catering model mm. and i went to invest atlanta and said can we fund her air conditioning other facade improvements so it's more inviting well, we got it for miss d who had been on this corner for like 15 years And so now she's thriving five, six years later after just getting something like an air conditioning and a new facade up front. We're not talking about every business needing ten million dollars. There are businesses that we need to have help. Ten million dollars, by the way. And that shouldn't be an alarming figure. But there are businesses who need, you know, fifty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars, one hundred thousand dollars. We should be able to give that to them in a low cost or no no interest loan. And guess what? In Ms. D's business, there's 10 employees. All of them are African-American. Most of them live in the city and now they can feed their family. Same thing with the good hair shop. Same thing with a bunch of other businesses that I've touched and talked to hand in hand because I have business experience, small business experience and large business experience. So when we talk about black business, I'm there all day, every day. And it's 100% a part of my Uh, my plan of action.
1: Great. Um, So just as we wrap up, just a couple of final questions for you. So, you know, Atlanta has had six mayors straight uh, who have been African-American, right? Um, Over that time, uh, the city has changed tremendously. The city went from overwhelming majority Black and 70% or so that were Black to now being about 50-50. Um, so do you think Atlanta is ready for a white mayor?
0: Atlanta is ready for Atlanta to continue to uh, thrive. Uh, and whoever helps Atlanta to thrive is who we are to select. And I believe that right now, Atlanta needs a black mayor. I name Andre Dickens. <laughs> so, so that's what we need. We need Andre Dickens and I happen to be black. <laughs> so that's what we need.
1: So, okay. Um, so just in that same vein, Andre, you have, uh, certainly in your previous election and even now, uh, you know, Atlanta, again, this the same thing. Atlanta's kind of had always had an establishment can- candidate. Right. There's always been, you know, the person picked and I'm going to stay with the black mayors on this front who the black elite helped elect. Right. And said, this is our person. We're going to get them in office. Um, I would say that you are also an establishment black candidate, especially compared to maybe Felicia Moore, who's always seen as kind of out of the political establishment, or even Antonio Brown, who kind of beats his own drum as well. Uh, So what do you say to someone who says, well, I want something, I want someone different. Aren't you just the same as the, you know, the establishment candidates we've had for the past six mayors?
0: You know, anybody that says that doesn't know me well, so I'll have to make sure I uh, explain to them a little bit about my past. I don't come from a silver spoon. I don't come from anybody that was connected to a mayor. I don't have a a family member that's had a job in City Hall or anybody that um, was invited to Mayor's Balls. There ain't a person in my family that has ever been to a Mayor's Ball. They're going to go to one soon, though.
1: You never took your mind to the Mayor's Ball? Or a um, family, your sister.
0: <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, we're not a part of the Atlanta in crowd or the former, you know, all this legacy and those things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad and proud of my working class roots. I'm, I'm proud that my mom had to invest so much in me that I got to be able to live out her dream of going to college. So when I made these dreams come true for her. I'm, I'm not a part of any establishment, but hers. So I don't know, you know, whatever, whoever this, you know, fictitious character that would call me an establishment person, I've earned uh, this, this opportunity to serve the city I love. And, you know, because I've been, you know, elected twice uh, to city council because I've.
1: But wouldn't you say the same thing applies for Felicia or for Antonio? They also. I don't think have family members who are connected to the city.
0: Yeah, but I I was born and raised in the city, and I still wasn't connected to the city uh, establishment like that. So this is me being able to see all of Atlanta, not as an outsider to the city, but an outsider to all that who's who have who's who's got you know the the, the upper hand in the city. The people whose voices that haven't been heard, they're heard through me, because I have lived the experience of coming from the quote unquote wrong other side of the tracks you know, flipping burgers at 15 years old at Burger King, pushing grocery carts at Kroger at 16 for a living. I mean, this is, you know, the, I, I valet park cars to get through college. So, so scrappiness, although, you know, I'm this happy, smiley guy, blessed by God, I scrap. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I know how to get through things. And so when you call me establishment, I, I don't, you know, I'm trying to fight the offense. Because what I want to do is just fight for the city, so they see it. You know what I mean?
1: Okay. So, final question: Are you planning to ask Keisha Bottoms for her endorsement, or is she already supporting your campaign?
0: Um, I am asking everybody for their endorsement. Um,
1: Even though you've been critical of the administration,
0: yeah, I'm not critical of Keisha Bottoms. You know, I'm I'm critical of certain you know things that. I think she could have done a better job on crime. So, um, and we've talked about that you know, very recently and, and in the past. So, um, you know, we all stand in judgment of our actions. Uh, when you are at the top, or you know, driving the, you know, captain of the ship, you know, people get the chance to say, you know, did you do a good job today? Did you not do a good job today? You don't, don't, don't take the job if you can't take criticism. And that's the same thing with me, even in city council. So, um, you know, I think that if she would, I would be honored to have her endorsement. I would be honored to have the endorsement of her, Mayor Franklin. I mean, you know, the list goes on. I I mean, I I love people that have, you know, committed their lives to service. And she did. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, you know, decided to, you know, live out her love for her city as being mayor. And and, and I think we should really respect that and honor that, you know. Um, So,
1: yeah. So, yes, you would ask for an endorsement. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm asking for an endorsement. I'm telling you, I'm asking for everybody's Shoot endorsement.
1: Shoot, you want her on the campaign trail. All right, let's go to Call Your Heights. Let's go to Cascade. <laughs> let's go to Buckhead. Uh, we we
0: definitely, uh you know, have to, you know, we got a campaign team that just got started. We have to use all our, you know, strate- strategery, <laughs> <laughs> and, and use all our, you know, assets wisely on where to use them and what to use them on.
1: So what do you want the people of Atlanta to know as they think about who they want to be the next mayor of Atlanta? Uh, why you what do you want to say to the people of Atlanta?
0: Yeah, thank you. Saba. you can... I mean, you know, right now in five months, the people of Atlanta are going to choose a mayor. You're going to want to choose someone like me that has a full set of experiences. Uh, From government, to nonprofits, to education, to to church, to the community. Someone who was born and raised here, grew up here, scrapped his way uh, through high school and APS, all the way to Georgia Tech as a chemical engineer. Someone who has these full set of experiences as a business owner, who has helped others. I've trained people in technology in this new economy. I know uh, technology leaders, I know business leaders, I know uh, community leaders. I've been someone who has served the city and earned um, you know, the right to be right here as a mayoral candidate. And I want your vote. I want you to join my campaign. In five months, we're gonna have an election. And in just seven months, there's gonna be a new mayor in the city of Atlanta. And that's gonna be me with your help. Um, and I'm ready to lead the whole city of Atlanta. Those that are on the east side, west side, north side, south side, I've been representing the whole city of Atlanta for the last eight years as as Atlanta City Council member, post three at large. Now, I'm ready to be mayor. So join me in Andre4Atlanta.com on all social media, IG, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Andre4Atlanta. Um, Come volunteer. We're out here cleaning up streets. We're out here, um, you know, knocking on doors passing the good word along, and then also contribute. It takes money to run a campaign. So if you go on andreforatlanta.com, you can click donate. And when you donate, whether you're donating $5 or $500 or $2,500, it all goes to good use so that we'll have uh, the next mayor of Atlanta, one that you can trust, one of high integrity, uh, one that's inclusive, a bridge builder that people want to work with, and that's going to basically take the city to new heights and um make you proud thank you thank you